Hello, and welcome to Monumental, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, leaders, visionaries, and big thinkers making monumental change. Here's your host, Evan Holliday. Welcome to Monumental. I'm your host, Evan Holliday, and today on the show, we have on Chris Nowicki. Chris, how you doing, man? Hey, Evan, I'm, I'm really good. How you doing today? Great, great. So awesome. Chris and I go back a little bit. He's in, uh, he's a commercial broker in Tampa and we've been looking at a few deals down there and uh, we've just kept in touch and I was like, man, we got to get Chris on the show. He's really just crushing it in real estate, crushing it on Instagram. Um, so I'm really glad to have you on the show today, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So let's just jump right into kind of before real estate and um, and kind of a little bit of your journey. Yeah, so um, I got my start working for a Fortune 500 company. It's called Ecolab, uh, more specifically Nalco. They're in industrial water treatment. So I was in uh, uh, consulting and sales for them. So basically my big customers were uh, manufacturing facilities, food and beverage plants. When I was in Illinois, I lived there for about three years. Um, Del Monte, Nestle, James Hardy, a lot of those were some of my uh, big customers. And then down here, James Hardy, again, I was uh, uh, one of the few people in the company who knew as much as I did about James Hardy. So I did a lot of consulting with them. Publix, they have a massive distribution facility out in Lakeland, um, Yingling, Pepsi. So what I did was basically, there's a lot of processed water, cooling water, uh, water they use for steam in those facilities. So I uh, worked by consulting with them on their processes, helped to optimize, uh, save them money, and then also provided uh, services, equipment, and chemicals for their water uh, to help them uh, use their water more efficiently, less waste, lower carbon footprint, all that good stuff. So, um, and then as far as real estate goes, you want me to get into that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my wife and I, we never really trusted the whole 401k or anything like that uh, with the job and still don't for that matter. Um, and so our plan was we would buy one house a year every year for the next 30 years. And so we figured that way in 30 years when we're ready to retire, our income actually goes up every year in our retirement. Cause then you got a, you know, another 30 year mortgage getting paid off, got a house coming free and clear every single year. So, yeah. um, that, that was the plan. That's how I got into real estate. And then, um, someone convinced how'd you, me. Yeah, how'd go you ahead. first, how do you first hear about that and, and come up with that plan? Uh, funny, actually, I, I saw an interview on like, uh, Fox news in the morning or something. They were interviewing, um, Donald Trump and Robert Kiyosaki. They had done that book called Midas touch and they were going on like the book tour for that. And so I originally thought the Midas touch, man, that's going to teach me how to make a whole bunch of money in my job. <laughs> you know, help me cl climb the corporate ladder. Right. Yeah. I, I had no, no clue. I, I just saw a part of the interview. And so that kind of went out of my mind for, uh, for a little while. And I remember I read it and I was like, this is what I thought at all. This is all about entrepreneurship, building business, all that sort of stuff. And then obviously Robert talked about uh, rich dad, poor dad in the book quite a bit. And so I kind of put that out of my mind for a little while. I wasn't sure entrepreneurship was the way I wanted to go. Um, 
And then I was searching like the clearance rack at Staples one day. They just got like a whole bunch of paperback books and I saw Rich Dad Poor Dad there and uh, picked that up, read it. And I mean, the rest is history. I, I just, I knew that that was the direction I wanted to go. Wait, wait, you got Rich Dad Poor Dad on the clearance rack? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's yeah, I mean, wild. You, you, sometimes you find uh, find the biggest gems, you know, just in a pile of dirt, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, That that is exactly what that is. That's amazing. I've never heard someone's story like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just read it, had my, uh, I think she was still my girlfriend at the time. Uh, no, my fiance, she was my fiance and, um, had her read it. And then, you know, we just, just moved forward from there. That's awesome. So what, what was the, what was the conversation like? Um, because I, I've, I've heard some of our listeners ask questions along the lines of like, as couples, and Jeanette and I talk about this a lot too, is like, it's so important to make decisions as a couple. Um, but also you have to make sure that the other person kind of has some of the background of where you're coming from when you're making yeah. these decisions. So I think sharing the book with your fiance is a huge step, but how did you, how did you broach that? And how, like, were you guys already talking about it or how did you get her to, to get on board with it as well? Yeah, no, I, I was actually really, really lucky. Her and I both, we were really lucky that, um, we didn't know enough to have these sort of conversations when we first got engaged and we're first dating and all that sort of stuff. Um, our parents weren't, you know, never really talked about money or, or anything like that. Investing. I mean, I remember growing up, like, um, my parents, they just never talked about it. Like I can't, yeah. I can't recall a single argument they ever had over money. I mean, obviously it was all behind closed doors. So I don't know ever growing up if you know, they're having the best financial year of their life or their worst, you know, it just wasn't a topic of conversation. So, yeah, uh, interesting. yeah, naturally it just wasn't a topic for me and Kelsey. Um, and so when I found that the, the conversation actually just kind of went, you got to read this book, you got to read this book, you got to read this yeah. book <laughs> and finally convinced her to read the book and, uh, it opened her eyes up just like it did mine. And so we lucked out that, um, we didn't have those conversations on the front end, but it ended up working out that, we have the same philosophy on business and money and all that. That's great. So, so walk me through once you read the book, once you kind of came up with your game plan, where did you go from there? Um, started, started reading more, just consuming more. I mean, when you read books like that, often they'll reference another book, say this book is, is a good one. You should check that. So I'd write yeah. it down as I'm, as I'm reading through and then I get those books. And then, I mean, once you start down the rabbit hole and you keep reading these recommended books that each book is referencing, I mean, there's, there's no turning back. I mean, it's yeah. just, it, it opens up the floodgates and uh, you, know, you really can go anywhere from there. And that's, that's kind of what happened. Um, so started reading more learning, um, uh, and then looking at an investment houses, just, just starting, what, what would it, what would it take? You know, what would it take to just going on Zillow or something? You know, what would it take to buy this house? What would we have to do to it? You know, looking at houses. Um, and we were in Illinois at the time. So fortunately we didn't buy anything up there cause we moved to Florida shortly after. And, <laughs> and here, here we stay and this is where we bought everything. So, uh, it, it worked out that we spent the time in Illinois learning and now, you know, we're here in Florida. Yeah. And now committed in Florida. So what, yep. what brought you down to Florida? Um, always wanted to be here. Um, when I was a kid, my grandparents had a place in Punta Gorda, which I'm 
sure you're familiar with, right? Yes. Um, so we used to go down and vacation there, you know, Thanksgivings, winters, all that sort of stuff. And so I knew I wanted to be in Florida, not necessarily Tampa specifically, but Florida. Yeah. Um, and then Kelsey's aunt and uncle had a place actually not too far from where we live now. And she always used to go down and visit them as a child. And then when we were dating in college, over spring breaks and stuff, her aunt and uncle would fly us down for, for spring break. We'd hang out here for the week and then, you know, fly back to school. And that, that just cemented it. We, we needed to find a way to get down here. That's awesome. So what, what, what helped you get down there as far as like, did you find a new job or investment property or what? We were actually working our, our corporate job. She actually did the same thing that I was doing, same company and everything. And we caught wind or I say we, she, uh, she caught wind that um, there was a new district being formed down here and they had some openings. So um, she, she decided that she was going to tell her manager, say, hey, we want to move to Florida. Um, and uh, the way we kind of approached it was, all right, we know that, you know, we may need to spend a couple more years here, even though we really didn't want to. Um, we, we know we may need to spend a couple more years here, but we want to start the conversation now. They didn't know we knew about this district, right? So um, uh, we want to start the conversation now. And lo and behold, oh, there's two spots open in Florida. Do you want them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so they, they, awesome. they, moved us, they moved us both down. That's great. It sounds like also like, you know, you, you guys put it out into the universe that you wanted sure. Florida that you wanted that direction. And then those two spots opened up. Oh, it, it was a dream. It was a, it was an absolute dream. I mean, I could, I could clearly envision palm trees in my head when I would, when I was, when I was a kid laying in bed up in Michigan, it's freezing cold outside. <laughs> I mean, I, I could yeah. feel the air and see the palm trees. Absolutely. For sure. That's awesome. So, so walk us through now. I mean, now you're a commercial broker. Now you have investment properties. So how did you go from Ecolab and, and, water consulting to commercial real estate. That seems like a, a, a big jump. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, so when I was spending all my nights and weekends and free time and everything doing real estate, right. Attending meetings, networking, talking to owners of property. Um, someone had convinced me to go ahead and get my license because that way, ideally, again, you can't help everybody that you come across. And so, and same thing is with buying, you, you just can't make a deal with most everybody you come across for whatever reason, one reason or another. And so I figured, okay, if I can't make a deal, I can always list the property for sale. It makes right. money that way. Um, and then, you know, I just, I enjoyed the idea of doing real estate full-time so much, I decided to jump in and do it full-time. Uh, and so I started, I actually started out for a brief hiccup in residential real estate. And, um, that was, that was a lot different than the investor side and buying real estate, go, doing that. And then going to working with like first time home buyers and holding open houses and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I didn't, I mean, I, I sold some houses. I didn't last too long in residential. I caught myself holding an open house for, uh, for another broker. This couple came walking in and they're looking all around. They, you know, they're, they asking my advice on how to, you know, where to put the couch and what color this is and that is what, what they should paint. It's like, Oh, I, I don't know. You know, it's like, 
lady, you know, what can you do in a blue bathroom that you can't do in a pink bathroom? Just buy it and paint it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so and, true. yeah, that day I, I knew that I was going to, I was going to move out of residential and go into commercial, which more suits my background actually, because I spent a lot of time working with business owners in uh, commercial properties, office buildings, manufacturing facilities, working with purchasing agents, making dollar and cents decisions and that sort of stuff. So I've kind of leveraged that into working as a commercial broker uh, with investors. So as far as, I mean, was there any, was there any um, pushback into where you worked as far as going over into commercial or, or was that a pretty easy transition? In terms of my corporate job or my residential? Yeah, your residential on your, on your brokerage yeah. side. Um, no, because, um, I started out with Keller Williams and I'm still with KW commercial, who is the, uh, um, the commercial branch of Keller Williams. And in the office I was in, there was no commercial branch. There was no commercial uh. team, no commercial division. And it was just getting started in that particular office. So I got hooked up with the guy who was put in charge by the office, uh, leader, uh, he was put in charge of starting the commercial division. So I started working with him and learning. And then um, not long after, a um, while after, actually, I got hooked up with my current senior broker who I'm, I'm working with, uh, serving as, as a mentor. Uh, his name is Coach. So he's kind of like a coach. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's where I'm at now. So, so walk us through what kind of deals are you doing now and, and how big are the deals? What type of deals? Um, yeah, lay it on us. Yeah. They, I mean, they're, they're really all over the place. Um, I'm working some multifamily opportunities, um, just sold some development land, just sold a, a small animal hospital that's going to be used to, um, what the, the buyer's going to do is he's going to tear it down and build five different office buildings. Um, he's a pediatrician, so he'll be in one, he'll rent out the rest of them. Yeah. Um, there's a project called, um, that they're calling at least it's the campus city council. It's the gateway to the innovation district. Um, which is at, I, I don't know how many of your listeners are from the Tampa area, but it's at, at a pretty prominent corner, um, Bush Boulevard and 275. It's going to be a, uh, um, it's, it used to be a Ramada. Now it's just flat dirt. It's been torn down. It's going to be a, a, a hotel. Uh, multifamily, some office co-working space, restaurant, and some stationary food trucks. So um, there's those. And then, of course, uh, it seems daily somebody's asking me about multifamily. Um, yeah. you, you know, down here in, in the Florida market, as we're seeing a lot of the, the single family uh, uh, deals dry up, a lot of people are stepping up and moving into duplexes, triplexes, quads, you know, up to 20 units or so. Um, so we're starting to see a transition from the smaller investors trying to work some of these bigger deals because, you know, I'm, I'm sure same as Nashville, uh, the housing yeah. market's just crazy. So yep. they're looking elsewhere for deals. So as far as actually, let me take a step back. So, um, something I did want to touch on was how you and I connected, uh, yeah. which I thought was pretty awesome. You know, I've, I've, over the years, Instagram for me has been a great, great way to connect with people. And I tell everybody like, get yourself out there on Instagram, um, you know, put, put it out into the world, what you're doing. And then all of a sudden you're going to start making connections. You're going to build your community on Instagram. Um, so you and I connected through Instagram and, and I loved it because 
you do a very good job of like of taking all the news all the real estate news in Tampa and greater Tampa area and putting that on your page. So, so literally I loved following you because I just got like an update every time there was a new project yep. uh, of what was going on in Tampa. So it was, it was very informative for me. And then I think I eventually reached out and I was like, Hey, let's connect because yeah. you were adding tremendous value for me. I, I appreciate that. And that's, that's the goal. Yeah. I think you had commented on, you know, a handful of, you know, posts and, you know, we had gone back and forth a couple of times in the comments and I think you DM'd me and said, you know, let's just meet up. And then it worked out that you were visiting family in Punta Gorda or something and we were able to, yeah. to meet up. But, um, uh, there's actually been, a, a decent number of people that I've met in various parts of the industry, um, whether it's maybe the environmental side, you know, phase one, phase two, or oh, lending, yeah. um, or investor side, such as yourself. There's been a handful of people, um, and it, you know, it's funny is I, I try to provide that that value through my Instagram. You'll notice I don't really post um, sales or much about me really at all because I really don't want it to be about me. I want it to be. Uh, somewhere where people can go and just get a quick snapshot what's going on in Tampa, you know, what happened today uh, and learn. And I've actually had a, a number of people say, hey, you know, uh, if I'm getting ready to sit down in a meeting with a, with a buyer or an investor or something, I'll, I'll scroll through your Instagram, you know, last four or five pictures yeah. or something and just get some talking points. And it makes them look more knowledgeable and educated in front of their clients um, and, and hopefully that increases their success as well by, by, uh, appearing more, not, not just appearing more knowledgeable, but when you read the information and you know what's going on, you can actually speak more knowledgeably, knowledgeably about it. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get across on my Instagram. So what, what encouraged you to start that? I don't know. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, um, right. uh, I, I think, I think my wife actually, you know, uh, You'll notice a theme. She likes to <laughs> prod me to do things that, uh, you know, yeah. I've never been into uh, social media all that much. You should much. keep her around. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> I will for a little while. Um, but uh, um, I, I, I think, you know, after kind of looking into it, and then I started looking at some other accounts and kind of what they were doing, because for a while, you know, all through college and everything, you know, you just look on social media, it's just a bunch of pictures of food and you know, all that sort of stuff. And that doesn't yeah. interest me. I mean, I've got a personal Facebook page, but I don't, I don't use it really. Um, I use Instagram again for, for business. And uh, as soon as I realized that I can reach so many people by just posting some pictures and a little bit of knowledge yeah. on what's going on uh, and, and meet some fantastic people such as yourself and, uh, and many others, um, I, I, I really just got on board with it. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's the same for me. It was about a year and a half ago. It was like, you know, a light bulb switch. I saw somebody speaking about power of social media. And I was like, man, I, I really have to invest some time and energy into this and not just yeah. make it about me, but make it about my projects, make it about real estate, make it about yep. how I can help my audience and help yeah. people that are maybe a few steps behind me and give back to them. And then all of a sudden I'm creating value and then they want to follow me. And then all of a sudden we have a community and we connect with people like you mm -hmm. and me connecting and actually meeting in person. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of like the, the, the fallacy and the logic on um, what people think of social media. People think, you know, they, they think it's stupid because all it is is like negative political posts and pictures yeah. of food and all this sort of, when you realize that social media is what you create it to be. 
because yeah. you're the one putting out the content, right? And so it is what you create it to be. So I was like, I don't like posting pictures of my food and I don't like posting, you know, political stuff or whatever. And then you just realize, well, I don't have to. I can post what I think is valuable to others and what other th others think is valuable. Yeah. I don't have to post that stuff. So when you realize social media is what you make of it, it's a tool like anything else, right? It's a tool. Then that opens up uh, a, a big world out there really. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good metaphor for most anything is life is like, it is what you make of it. Like in any situation, any, any deal, any, any setback, any, any positive, any negative, like it is what you make of it. Uh, and same thing with social media. Um, so speaking of which it's, you know, it is what you make of it. So what, what as far as, so you have investment properties at this point. Um, how has that helped you with your, with your clients that are getting into investing or have investment properties or looking at multifamily investing? I can just speak more knowledgeably, right? Yeah. I, I've, I've run numbers myself. You know, I've analyzed deals myself. Um, I know much of what to look for that maybe somebody just getting in brand new isn't going to know what to look for right? I can sort through a pro forma and say, no, oh, no, no, that's, that's not real. Or yeah, that, that looks about right. Um, so I can speak a lot more knowledgeably, talk the lingo. Um, cause when you're, you're talking to especially seasoned investors, you know, they'll, they'll call BS pretty quick if you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so that, that's certainly been tremendously valuable. Um, and then on top of that, I uh, think you and I had, mentioned, or had talked about before, I used to attend a lot of the RIAs and all that, um, the single family investing and stuff like that. And a lot right. of those contacts have turned into, okay, these are all single family meetings, but I'm the commercial guy there. You yeah. Know? So there's been deals that have come out of there, even though I don't attend as regularly as I probably should um, to continue to be that commercial guy there. But there's deals that have come out of there that uh, have just been, Hey, so-and-so said, I need to call you. Uh, you know, I got a, I yeah. got a commercial need or I've, I've got a, I got to sell a property or whatever it is. Yeah. That's awesome. And speaking of meetups and being like the only one in your niche, I think there's so much value to that. I, I heard somebody say, they're like, look, you know, I, I make websites for a living and I go to all the doctor conferences and all the dentist conferences because I'll be the only website creator at the whole conference. So it's yep. almost like you have a monopoly. Um, yep. We at just recently at our, at our monumental meetup, we had a good friend of mine, same thing. He does digital media, digital marketing. He was the, obviously the only one there mm -hmm. other than, you know, that, that was not in real estate, was not in multifamily, was not in commercial real estate or even single family at all. He was just there to support me, but he was the only one there in that niche. And, and there's he, people he that had, actually approached him. Yeah. He filled it. He filled a need and he was the only guy there to talk to, right? Yeah about that need, what, you know, what, whatever, where, whenever you go to someplace like that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities for like me to go to different networking uh, events and, and all that sort of stuff. But if I'm going to be one of 40 commercial brokers there, uh, you know, I don't really want to go because yeah. I, I don't stand out then. There's, there's no, 
I won't say no value, but no perceived value at that point in time when there's so many different commercial brokers in the room. Yeah, that's interesting. So what about as far as um, you and I have talked a little bit about like your, your process for reaching out to off-market property owners. Mm-hmm. Um, could you kind of walk us through that and kind of your process to building relationships and, and being able to help broker sales? Sure. So I'm a cold caller. Uh, I love cold calling. Well, actually, I don't think anybody loves cold calling, really. <laughs> I think if, if somebody tells you that they absolutely love cold calling and they get up every morning, they can't wait to hit the phones, uh, <laughs> I, I think they're kidding themselves. I love the results of cold calling. Yeah. Um, I think there's no better way, especially commercial, residential, you can go door knocking, right? Uh, and I, to, to that fact, I know people who've done real well in commercial door knocking, but in residential, you can go door knocking pretty good chance whoever answers that door owns the place or knows the person that owns the place, right? Yeah. Commercial, a lot of times you're going to come, you're going to run into tenants. I don't know the owner. I know the property. And then you got to go through, okay, the property manager. Okay. Can I get, it's just not, not worth it from my perceived energy exertion level. Right. Um, I, I, I think the best way to get directly with an owner and catch them on a bad day is to call them at nine in the morning. Nine so in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Um, I call typically every morning from, from nine to 12. Uh, rainy days are excellent because when you, uh, when you catch somebody on a rainy day, they're looking for anything, any reason to feel better. Right. And if you can provide a solution to whatever's ailing them, uh, rainy days make it really easy to get that foot in the door. <laughs> so tell me about like, do you, do you time block out like every day or a couple days a week? Every day I've got from nine to noon blocked out. Um, so I, I try my hardest, you know, I really intend not to schedule anything during those times. Something, sometimes fires come up, emergencies happen, whatever. But as long as I've got that blocked off, then I know it's never going to happen where, I accidentally book something there. If something's booked there, it's really, really important, but I'll try and make up for it later in the day as well. You know, so if I, if I've got to do something at, you know, noon, which means I need to leave at 11, then I'll try and make up an hour later in the day. Okay. But yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hardcore scheduler, time blocker. If it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. It's not happening. And yeah. I can't be held accountable for not showing up. Yeah. Let's go into that. So what, when do you schedule your time? Is it on a weekly basis? Um, a lot of times I've got recurring things that I always do. Um, and then as things pop up, um, it's just kind of like a rolling schedule, you know, but typically I like to time block out, you know, if I've got a, got an appointment, I like to set everything for at least a week out if I can. Um, and then on, on Sundays I'll just spend, I don't, I don't spend a ton of time, but just look through my calendar for the next seven days. And because, you know, you, you can schedule something on Monday of this week and then totally forget about it by the time the appointment rolls around on Friday, the yeah. following week. Right. So just take a little bit of time, look, look over what I got going on that week and uh, do what I need to do to prepare. So do you, do you block out something that I've, I've realized over, over time is that what's helped me is actually blocking out time just for prepping for certain things. Like if I have an important meeting, not only do you block out the meeting, but you block out two hours before the day before or something 
to make sure you're well prepared for that meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've gone into enough meetings, you know, by just winging it. Uh, I've gone into yeah. enough of those to know that it's probably not the best approach for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I try and keep, you know, like you said, it may be an hour or two before uh, an important meeting. There's some meetings, you know, they're just, you know, brief consultations just uh, um, with maybe a new potential new buyer or something like that. Um, a lot of those conversations often go the same. Um, but if I'm going in on a listing appointment or talk to somebody about selling their property, I'm preparing for that for sure. Yeah. Um, so going back to your cold calling, so where are you getting your lists from? Uh, we use actually a couple of different, different resources. Um, and then I do a lot of the legwork myself as far as, you know, I'll look up property owners in a given area. You can do that through property records or whatever. Most, most property records have some sort of like a map function. You just circle that area, you know, whatever area you want to be calling on. And then, um, it'll give you owners commercial. They're mostly LLCs. So then I got to go to what we have here is sunbiz.org. Uh, just look up the right. owners of those LLCs. And then I got to go try and track down their phone numbers. Certainly probably not the most efficient way to do it. I'm, I'm sure there's a program out there that's really, really expensive um, that I could be uh, utilizing. Um, but of the programs that I've used that do spit out phone numbers, I've had a hard time with the accuracy of the phone numbers. So what I'll do is, you know, on a, on a weekend or something, I'll just compile a list that'll be enough to get me through the week. And then I trust the numbers that I, that I come up with. Okay. Where do you get the numbers from? Is that from Sunbiz or? It's a, it's a, uh, it's online. It's a website called Spokio. S-P-A-E-O. Okay. Uh, yeah. You pay for a subscription. I don't remember. It's, you know, maybe 10, $15 a month or something like that. You get like, uh, I don't know how many searches per month, but, um, that's pretty accurate. Um, you still run into wrong numbers here and there. Yeah. Uh, you might get three or four different numbers for one person. You just got to try them all and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and I've actually had it where I got a wrong number, but you know, then you, I'm, I'm looking for Joe Smith, but, uh, you know, I think I might have the wrong number. Yeah, you got the wrong number. Okay, well, do you have any commercial real estate needs? Well, yeah, actually, yeah. So I, I have had somebody say, well, "Wow, now that you mention it, yeah." So wrong numbers aren't always a bad thing. That's interesting. That's yeah. turning a no into a yes. Exactly. Exactly. You, you never know who needs help. That's awesome. So what what typically helps you when you're going into to pitch? Uh, you know, somebody that doesn't even have their property listed. How mm-hmm. to, how do they, how do you typically get them comfortable with listing it with you? Uh, I, I usually know that before we even meet. Okay. So usually I've had a couple of phone calls with them. Um, and the key is just get the appointment, just try and get a chance to get it. Cause most people, if they're motivated to sell, I mean, some people will say, yes, oh my God, I got to get rid of this property. That's not most everybody though. Yeah. Most people are going to say something along the lines of, hmm, I never really thought about it. Or, yeah, I've been tossing around the idea, but not really. Usually those are the signs you get. Um, So when I start hearing that, when I start hearing somebody say, never really thought of it, but you know, now that you mention it, I know there's something there. Then I try to get the appointment because I can't sell anything over the phone. 
I'm not a good phone salesman. I can get an appointment over the phone, but I can't sell anything over the phone. Uh, I know that if I get in front of somebody and I get a chance to meet them and talk to them, learn a little bit about them, ask them questions, and uh, uh, you, know, you, can, you can feel a, a genuine um, sense of who somebody is when you're with them. And I can win yep. you over like that when I'm in front of you, not over the phone. So I just try and try and get the appointment. And then, you know, it may turn out where they're like, eh, you know, it made me now just not the right time, but that's somebody that goes in the follow-up. I mean, I'm, I'm a pit bull when it comes to follow-up. The gold is in the follow-up. Most people don't have a need right now, but they will someday. So always, always follow up. And I typically follow up in residential. Uh, they might do a little more often, but, um, if somebody's really just not interested, it's once a quarter. I'll follow up every quarter. You know, um, you follow up with a call, phone call. Yep. Unless you know we did meet in person, maybe I'll just stop by if I know where yeah. their office is now, or not their house. I'm not going to go to their house, but um, <laughs> I, I might stop by their office just to say, "Oh, I was in the neighborhood." Um, yeah. But yeah, y- you got to follow up. I mean, the the people who do best in in sales are the ones that that just aggressively follow up. Yeah. I love that. And I love how you said, you're like, it just comes down to, you know, first off, it's, it's getting them to the point where they're comfortable with meeting in person because that's really where you shine. And I, and honestly, I think it has to do with the size of the transaction, right? Like you're, you're looking to add massive value, but in order to get them fully comfortable, it really helps to have that face-to-face connection and also you know, like you said, being able to truly listen to somebody and, and understand somebody and understand mm-hmm. their model of the world and where they're coming from, that helps you better serve them and whatever their needs are for the property. Yeah. And, and you can't do that over the phone as effectively because if I'm asking you if you want to sell your property and you say no, I need to know if you're on the verge of laughing or on the verge of crying. Yeah. Right. And it's really hard to do that over the phone. Yeah, that's awesome. So what, what is the, the, the grand vision for Chris? What, is the, what are the next steps? The next steps, um, you and I have actually talked about it. Um, I'm growing my investments, um, getting into uh, you know, what you're doing with syndication. Um, that's the next step. I've, I've done a lot of work with financial advisors, helping them lease space and, um, uh, helping them out. And just, just like, uh, everybody, you can't help everybody that you meet and financial advisors are the same way. There's, yeah. you know, somebody that they want to make a client, but their package or portfolio or mutual funds or whatever, just aren't a good fit. But that doesn't change the fact that this person still has capital that they need to invest and uh, maybe they'd feel more comfortable with real estate. So working with some of these financial advisors, you say, hey, you know, if, if uh, you, know, you can't help this person, I've already done a good job helping you. Maybe you could at least send them my way. Maybe I can help them as well. Yeah, that's and awesome. So, and, yeah, and kind like, of moving that space. Yeah, like, I, like we talked about, I mean, the, it's powerful to get into and scale and it's, and it's relatively... Um, it's, it's easy to really jump into that scale on the multifamily syndication side. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there's always a need for multifamily housing, whether it's luxury or 
affordable housing or whatever it is, market rent housing, there's always a need. There's always somebody who needs it. Um, but I, I, I just, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there, no matter what you want to get into. Um, I know you're, you're a multifamily guy. I love multifamily. I also love retail. Um, and, and that, that kind of raises a lot of people's eyebrows when, when I tell them I like retail properties, uh, and everyone, you know, their first thought is, well, what about Amazon? Right. What about <laughs> online ordering? All right, that sort right. of stuff. Um, yes, Amazon is a problem for a lot of people, a lot of businesses. Uh, and we're seeing it here just as much as everywhere else. You know, you go, you go into the malls and there's, you know, yeah. empty windows all up and down the, you know, the malls and empty spaces and vacancies and all that. And you drive up and down the streets, there's, there's retail buildings that are just sitting there with nobody in them. Um, those are opportunities. Okay. So I think in the next, I mean, these are just my ramblings, right? But those buildings aren't going anywhere. All right. With the exception, of course, some of them are going to be redeveloped uh, and maybe made into something else. Um, but for the most part, those buildings aren't going anywhere. They, they're going to need to do something with them and they're going to more than likely remain retail buildings. And I think in the next coming years, owners that are either unable or unwilling to adapt to the changing market, the changing needs of consumers, those are the ones that are going to be changing hands. So I think for a savvy investor out there, who has the ability to look and realize that the, the retail marketplace, it's going to experience based, right? Uh, it's going to uh, like um, here, at one of the malls here, they're putting in a bowling alley and a movie theater, stuff that Amazon can't deliver to your front door. Yeah. Right. And I think the savvy investors that are able to do that and understand how a tenant, a good tenant mix works in a retail building. I think those are the ones that are going to be really, really successful in the retail market coming up. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it's that like cross pollination of like a good experience and a good time that Amazon can't provide. And yeah. a lot of these e-retailers can't provide is, is it an actual experience? Absolutely. And, and you know, even, even eating out, you know, a lot of people say, well, what about Uber Eats? Well, do you want to eat every single meal from your couch yeah. you die? No, you still want to go out and get cocktails for happy hour after work. You know, you still want to go out and have a nice celebratory dinner when you get engaged, right? Yeah. You know, those sort of things <laughs> are, are Uber can't deliver. Uber Eats exactly. can't deliver. Um, now, certainly not downplaying the convenience of it because I, I certainly like me some Uber Eats from time to time. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there and it's not all doom and gloom. So, um, so one more question before we jump into monumental questions. Sure. Um, so you have a newborn on the way uh, yeah. here in December. So yeah. what, what, what advice would you have for them uh, from what you've learned in your life? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> there's so much, there's, there's just so much, um, that, you know, we all, we all have it. You know, I wish I knew then what I know now, and that's some of the knowledge that I'm, I'm excited to uh, impart on them. Um, but I, th I think my, my wife and I were just talking about it, um, this weekend is teach them early about money teach them early. Money can't be a taboo topic. Um, they yeah. teach them to, 
you know, save, spend, and give, right? You know, the, the big three and, you know, save could be whether it's, you know, a savings account, investing account, invest, whatever. Um, and then giving doesn't have to necessarily be monetarily giving. Maybe you can, you know, buy a backpack for a kid in your class who doesn't have it, right? So uh, just, just letting them know that money's not a taboo topic. We can talk about it and teach them early teach them really, really early to get the good habits in their mind before the rest of the world imparts yeah. their bad habits. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Uh, and I couldn't agree more. I feel like that's something that, you know, it's like if every kid was rich and reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and having that mindset and having their parents empower them in financial literacy, I feel like that would really change a lot of things in our society. Yeah, yeah. I, I partially jokingly, but mostly serious, tell my wife that uh, his bedtime story every night is going to be the richest man in Babylon, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's written out, you know, in kind of like a couple of little collections of short stories. Yeah. So she just rolls her eyes, but you, you just wait and see. He's going to be yeah. the richest man in Babylon for, uh, for the first few years of his life. Exactly. That's awesome. All right. So let's jump into our monumental questions. All right. Hopefully I got some monumental answers. Yes. <laughs> Um, success. What does success mean to you? What does success mean to me? Um, success to be successful. Um, you can be successful in, you know, your job and whatever, but, um, I'm going to talk, I guess, more about overall your life what makes you a success in life. Okay. Um, I think that's doing and accomplishing and achieving the things that make you feel fulfilled and confident. Um, now there's the other side of that where success is like a lever, like a seesaw, right? Um, the other side of that is, uh, doing things that allow you to contribute more and elevate the people that you love and the people around you. But it, I, I say it's like a lever, like a seesaw, because both need to happen for it to be considered real success, right? So you can't keep grinding and grinding and buying more property, buying more property, making more money, more money at the expense of your family and your friends and loved ones around you, okay? So when that side of the seesaw goes down, it's no longer a full life success. Right yeah. now, conversely, you can't just keep giving and giving and giving and giving to the people around you and, you know, increasing their value of life and, and the quality of life while you're running yourself into the ground in a miserable job that you just absolutely hate and you're just soul sucking. Right. That's no longer a success either. So both have to be in balance. And that's my long definition of success. <laughs> I love it. Um, do you have any daily habits or, um, or morning rituals that lead to a great day? Uh, I, I work out, I lift weights six days a week. Um, it, it's a great start to my morning. You know, it's, it's something that I can do where I can just pour all my focus into it, not worry about anything else. Nothing else is on my mind. And I like to do it early in the morning. So I'm not rushed. I hate feeling rushed in the morning. You know, we all have those mornings where you just, you got up late and now you need to run out the door yeah. and it's just not a good start to the day. So I like to take a long, slow workout, do my thing, eat my breakfast, come back and then, you know, I'm ready for the day. So that yeah. kind of 
sets the pace for the day. And I like that. That's awesome. So uh, in wrapping up, do you have a favorite book or book you're currently reading? Favorite book or book I'm currently reading? Uh, the book I'm currently reading actually is um, uh, using Matt Faircloth, Private Capital. Um, oh, nice book, right? That's a, that's a really, really good book. Um, but, and I, I'm almost done with that one. So, um, I don't think I have a favorite book. There's so many cause I, I'm a, I'm an avid reader of, of business and psychology and history and real estate and money and all these sort of things. Um, if I had to pick one other than rich dad, poor dad, which we already talked about, um, there's a book called choices by Shad Helmstetter. And that is a book that I can recall absolutely changing the way I looked at the world, my mind, um, and just, it, it really changed a lot of things for me because basically what that book talks about is, you know, we're a product of our choices. You know, we're where we are because yep. of our choices. Um, now you can always say, well, I, that illness I never intended for that to happen, but you have a choice on how you react and how you, you know, how you move forward. Right. Um, and then it also talks a lot about, it kind of compares our minds to computers where when you get a brand new computer, you need to program it. You need to put the yeah. software and the programs into it that, that you want in order to, to, to do, do what you need to do with your computer, whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, and our minds are the same. Either you program your mind or somebody else will. The rest of the world will program your mind. I mean, you ever have one of those days where you know, you're driving somewhere and then all of a sudden you just kind of snap to and you're there and you don't even remember the drive. How did I even get here? Oh yes. Yeah. Just the background programs running your mind. I mean, your, your brain just shut off and you know, a lot of people walk around years and years and years of their life like that. Yeah. So, um, you want to make sure you install the right programs in your mind. So choices. I'm gonna have to add that to my list. Yeah, choices by Shad Helmstetter. It's a pretty quick read, and I, I loved it. All right. So in wrapping up, how can our monumental listeners reach out to you, or follow you, or or keep up with what's going on with Chris's world? Yeah, absolutely. Reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I, I I love my gram. Um, yeah, I'm I'm at at the Chris Nowicki. And, um, you know, you can keep up to date with everything going on here in Tampa. You can DM me, reach out to me, find out what I'm up to. And uh, I, I'd absolutely love to connect with your, view, uh, your viewers, your listeners. Yeah, guys. And, and honestly, take him up on that. He, if, if, even if you're in any portion of real estate, he just brings tremendous value on his Instagram page. Um, and, and really look out for Chris. He's going to be doing some great things. And he already is, and he's already crushing it. So, guys, with that, have a monumental day. <laughs> <laughs>